This is the Women Your Mother Warned You About podcast, sponsored by Sales Gravy. I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer and Director of Coaching Programs at Sales Gravy. Before we get started with this week's episode, I want you to go and check out Sales Gravy University. Sales Gravy University is the place where sales professionals and sales leaders from across the globe go to learn and upscale. And right now, if you're a brand new user and you've never used Sales Gravy University before, you can get your first course for free by using coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. That's coupon code free course when you go to learn.salesgravy.com. And hey, I've got several courses there that you can check out. So I hope to see you there. But let's go ahead and get started with this week's episode. What inspired this book, Elite Sales Strategies? Every year we come to Outbound and every year I want to bring some big piece of content. What I'm always looking for is like, is there a better lens for me to look through? So that's what I'm always looking for. It's like, how do I get a clearer lens that gives me an advantage and I can see something that other people can't see? excited to have Mr. Indorino back on the show. Usually he's got to, he's got to counsel us and hopefully he doesn't have to do any therapy for us this time. So we're just going to go ahead and get started with this episode of the Women Your Mother Warned You About brought to you by Sales Gravy. Of course, I'm Gina Tremarco, Master Sales Trainer at Sales Gravy with my amazing co-host who would like to introduce yourself. Susanna Gray-Jones, owner of Chime Search and coach for Sales Gravy. And of course, we've got the man in the house, Anthony Inarino. It's because of him that we prosper, I think, because he was the gateway drug to Jeb Blunt. That's that's the story we tell that he helped open the door to Jeb or yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, that's the story I tell because I said, hey, can you like, say some good things to Jeb so I can get him on the show. And he's like, he's a busy man. Is he a busy man? Oh, he is a busy man, but I sometimes can find his Achilles heel, which anytime he's got a new book coming out, that is a great way to win him over and get him on the show. So he's a, he's an Enneagram three. So uh, an achiever and what achievers do is uh, they like to tick like to-do lists all. They just do that. And if you interrupt them and you make it harder for them to check these boxes off, they're miserable human beings. Uh, they do get a lot done. And just between us, I mean, I'm not going to say this anywhere where people could hear it or anything, but the sin of the uh, Enneagram 3 is vanity. I'm just telling you. I'm just Ooh. telling you what the research says. Uh, it's the only Enneagram that's not in the DSM when you start diagnosing people uh, because it's the American <laughs> way of life is that you're supposed to achieve and keep yourself busy checking off boxes. Well, you know, it's not like he'll ever listen to this episode. So I, I think we're safe. No, he listens. So, you know, I'm just going to blame it on you, Anthony. You said it. I didn't say I didn't call Jeb vain. It wasn't me. I might have. You might have. What I, you, we talked about the ideogram last time. What is yours? I can't remember. I'm an eight. You're an eight. That's right. And the eight is what? A challenger. A challenger. Um, I think I'm a campaigner. Is that one of them? No. 
No, nope. just made and that think- up. I'm thinking of no. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Myers Briggs. Never mind. Never mind. I can't remember where I am on the. I got to go back and look at it. Gina has her own category. Yeah, she decided <laughs> that there's nine, but she's like, I'm going to be a ten. And and what did you call it? Yeah, you just went. <laughs> she just decided like she's going to have her own enneagram. <laughs> Ew, that could that could happen. Gonna, well, we're excited. I'm going to teach <laughs> this at Outbound. I'm going to teach people how not to trigger people. <laughs> based on what you can see about their personality. Oh, I love it. Is, is that what you are teaching at Outbound? Yeah, that's what I'm teaching at Outbound. Oh, cool. Because that, that was going to be one of the questions. What what we want to talk about today is uh, what do you bring into Outbound? And then we're going to talk about your book. So let's let's dive into Outbound because we are we are selling tickets for Outbound. And we're super excited about the Outbound Conference coming up in September. Tell us more about your role at Outbound this year. What is my role at Outbound? That's, I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. know. What is, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to teach personality types because there's the, the Enneagram is a really good tool to, to understand. First off, it's really good for you to take your own Enneagram so you can figure out, you know, who you are. And if you do the work to figure out, like, how did I become this thing? Then you start to get some power over your personality. Your personality is basically just how you adapted to whatever happened to you in your childhood and how you present yourself. It's not your true self. Your personality is not your true self. That's something different. Mm. But if you start to understand, like if you are an eight like me, my sin is lust. Uh, not, not, not like that, Gina. I knew I would get that reaction from you. Uh, Cheeky. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just a, a large appetite, wanting everything. Like that, that's what an eight does. We're not conflict averse at all. Uh, we're big picture, like start giving us a bunch of details, like can't talk to you anymore. Don't want the details. Give me the big picture. So when you start talking to an eight like me, uh, then, you know, like just give him the big picture and somebody else is going to have to do the details for him because I'm not going to do those things. When mail shows up and it's a form I, I start to have blood coming out of my eyes. Like it's a, it's an, <laughs> it's an administrative task. I can't do it. Like I can't do an administrative task. My life is too short and I'm not going to fill out paperwork. Those kind of things. So happy to hear you say that because I, I've always thought it was a weakness of mine that I'm not a details person um, and that I couldn't be the best salesperson that I, I can be because of that. So I think that's actually quite inspirational. Would you say you're more of a leader then than maybe a manager? Or Threes and I'm going to do a study on this at some point. Um, I'm going to ask like a couple hundred people to take an Enneagram so I could just see them. And then I want them to, to give me their sales manager's information so I can see where they rank. I'm going to say threes and eights. I think when you look at salespeople, they're threes or eights, like most of what's, them. What's the, what's the three again? Achiever. Maybe that's it. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, because that's vanity. No, I think I'm an eight. <laughs> you could be an eight. <laughs> I could be an eight. You just have to take a, just go online. I think it's called Truity. You can just take a free test yeah. and then you can uh, figure out what's wrong with you uh, and what's <laughs> right with you. Like every one of these has a good, uh, a good side and a bad side to them. And you're, you're, what you're supposed to do when you study the Enneagram, which I've been doing for some period of time so I can see people and I can tell a lot of people, I can tell very quickly what they are and other people are a mystery to me. It's hard for me to see. But what you do is you figure out like if you're an eight, 
the, the thing that I'm most afraid of is being vulnerable. So that, that's an eight. Eights are like, we're not vulnerable. And if you try to take advantage of me, we're going to go straight to conflict like this fast. Like it takes two seconds. I'm completely triggered. I had a guy that was trying to hustle me with the pump and dump uh, uh, kind of investment thing. And uh, I bludgeoned him. And my wife was upstairs. She was listening to me. And, uh, and she said, what was that? And I said, this guy, you know, and I said, I just had, I was like, so eight. I was just like in my eightness right at that moment. And she goes, yeah, but you enjoyed that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I did. <laughs> like he's trying to take advantage of me and I got a conflict now and I'm happy in the conflict. Now he wasn't happy in the conflict, but I'm super comfortable in that. I'm not proud of it necessarily. But I'm not bored at least. I mean, so I need to have something to respond to. And sometimes, and that that's for it for me, you're going to try to steal my money. Uh, that's not nice. So uh, I explained to him that when your Google review says one star crooks, you're going to have a tough time getting money from people. Like you're just, that's not a very good thing for your first spot on Google to say that. And then the rest wow. are just more of an explanation of how they're crooks. So uh, all ones, they got a one for the Better Business Bureau. Uh, they've been sued by the SEC more than any other uh, wow. investment firm. So uh, you could just look that up on the internet. So I'm talking to them and I'm just typing and I'm like, yeah, well, what about this? And anyway, he doesn't have my money. That's I, I was wondering, you know, you're calling that an eight and I'm really starting to think I'm an eight. The more you describe it at the same time, you could be describing many Italian people. <laughs> Not that we're discriminating against Italian people, but. There's a low likelihood that uh, you're an eight, uh, but you could be. Uh, I have a sister who's an eight and I have another sister who's like, if there's eight plus, 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 then she's that for sure. I'm just scared of you both. <laughs> I'm just scared <laughs> of you both now. <laughs> eights are um, about, men are about 8% of the population of eights mm. and uh, women about 6% of the population of eights. Mm. Why? Why more men? I don't know why. We're more angry, I guess. <laughs> It's one of the angers. Yeah, there's angers. Yeah. Uh, ones, nines, and eights are all angers. My wife is a nine. Uh, nines are peacemakers, mediator. Uh, that's actually an anger, but all she does is remove conflict. So she doesn't want any conflict at all. So that was her adaptation. And a one is a perfectionist, and they're the absolute worst human beings in the Enneagram, as far as I'm concerned. Like, if you have a typo, they're like, I'll never do business with you. Oh yeah, you're yeah, gonna those get me people. in trouble by making me look bad. Those are yeah, those are hard ones. The people who point out the typos, I'm like, I don't think we can work together because I'm gonna have a lot of typos. Yeah, never had that. It's not gonna be a good fit. It's not gonna be a good fit. So the first thing I'm gonna do when we get off this recording is go do my enneagram, and again. then you're gonna send me your results so I know exactly, exactly, and then you could do some real counseling and therapy for me. If you're an eight, I know how to help you for sure. I stop being an eight. Like have to try to okay. make some other choices. I'll just change my personality. That's, I mean, I've got you a performer can, background. Though you can, yeah, you can actually just pretend to be a nine and just be super diplomatic and try to mediate I everything. Do, I do enjoy being a nine. I do enjoy 
mediating because I do want people to get along. Yeah. So, and sometimes I get in trouble doing that. Like I get told to stop doing that. So that's a a problem I have. I don't understand. Um, Can you explain? Maybe I'm just being super blonde here. Um, But what do you mean when you said, I think you, you made a comment at the beginning about your personality isn't necessarily who you are. Can you explain that a bit more? Because I'm fascinated yeah. by that. Comment. Yeah, it, it's it's your adaptation and how you want to present yourself to the world. Uh, it, it's an adaptation. You've done this because, and I don't know what you are because I don't know you well enough and I've not talked to you long enough uh, to figure it out. And I, I will, if I had enough time, I would probably be able to start helping you think that way. But uh, you are, whatever happened to you in your childhood sort of sets you on this path. And depending on what you were missing, you will do something about what you were missing when you were a kid. So why is somebody a perfectionist? Because their parents or one or two of the parents, doesn't matter which way it went or who it was, tells them that they have to be a good boy or uh, a good girl. And that sticks with them. And they're generally left alone. And so they start to make structures for themselves as to how they're going to behave. And then they get really, really narrow and very, very narrow about what they do and, and how they do it. And it has to be perfect. And so that that's one of the adaptations. So I don't know what your adaptation is, but all of us are putting on this thing that we do when we're in public. And that's not maybe your true self. Your true self is somewhere else. And I know exactly how I became an eight. And I understand uh, difficult childhood. Uh, dad left when I was seven. Any bad thing that you could think about, I probably have experienced. Anything that you wouldn't want your child to do, I probably did. I was a, a reckless uh, human being. And what what happens is when one of the things when your parents leave you, or one of your parents even, it means that there's no hierarchy. And so you believe that there's no authority greater than you. And, and that's why I'm uh, rebellious because I don't believe that anybody has the right to tell me what to do with my one life. And and that's wiring from seven years old, 12 years old. Then it was just like full on eight. After that, it was like, I'm liberated. I'm going to do whatever I want. And uh, you'll find that in eight. So Gina could be. Do you you think, um, because as you talk about this, abandonment in general, Right. So I had both my parents until my dad died and then my mom died. But my mom and I just constant like it was a very tenuous relationship. So there was a lot of abandonment with that. And I've done a ton of studying and a ton of therapy on it. Um, There's a great book called Detached that actually delves into attachment theory and detachment. Do you think like if you've been in that kind of in an abandonment situation, psychologically, the same thing could happen. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think you're going to have an adaptation to it. Uh, All of us are going to end up being orphans at the end. You know, that's how it goes. Like at some point Mm -hmm. you're an orphan, like you've lost your parents. Yeah. Hopefully it's very, very far in the future for anybody that's listening to this. I'm not going to teach this part of this. (laughs) We're going to be (laughs) outbound. I'm going to be talking about when you sit down with someone and they got a big watch on and they got a Mont Blanc pen and they got a picture of their car behind them. And, and you can see that they are an achiever and you can see how they're motivated. You know how to talk to them because you know how not to trigger them. So the part that I want to focus on is 
there's always good things about people. But if you want to make sure that you can get their consensus and you can get their buy-in and you can get a relationship with them, make sure you don't trigger them in some way. Like a nine, like my wife hates conflict. Now I have brothers and sisters. So when we get together, like things can happen really quick. There can be a lot of people with emotions that, and that's the kind of family it is. So no one's offended except for the first time my wife's ever saw that. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's the worst thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, <laughs> that was like, we just call that Tuesday. Like that, that's like, like nothing, nothing happened. We exactly. argued. That was it. Like we exactly. argued with each other. That for yeah. her is like, why are you even doing that? And, uh, and I have a daughter that's a nine. I got a daughter that's an eight. I got a son that's a seven. I got a mom that's a six. I got a sister that's a four. And that's what allows me to see these is because if you start looking at your, you can actually just read the summary of what your Enneagram might be. And then you can say, I know these people. And mm -hmm. you, you can, once you start seeing them in your family, in your friends, then you can start to really start to notice what people's personality types are. So now anybody who's listening to this, who comes to Outbound, I'm going to give you a deeper dive. But right now you can just figure out what you are figure out how you got there and then start looking at other people and seeing if you can guess what they are. Are you going to be doing this on the main stage? Yeah. Okay, cool. I just want to make sure I block it off so that I can be there to hear it. Yeah. I'm going to block it out so I can be there to deliver it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is really super powerful, especially when it comes to sales. You know, we focus on four personas at Sales Gravy that yeah. we teach. I think it's so huge. And even with the clients that I coach that struggle with, different stakeholders. And I, and I say, okay, well, tell me about that stakeholder. Yeah. Right. So I'm like, all right, how'd the conversation go? All right. That was probably not the way to have a conversation with that stakeholder. And you talk about this in your book a little bit. Uh, I got halfway through the book just for clarity, but you talk about. Me too. I got, I got halfway through too. <laughs> but, but, but I, you know, there's so many things I want to talk about with this book because one of my moments as, as I was, I don't read, I listen. Um, and I listen when I drive back and forth to sales gravy. And I'm like, what? I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. I feel like I need, I'm going to need counseling from Anthony. And then how do I manage my boss on top of it? I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. When you talk about rapport building and problem solving, I was so happy at one point you, you mentioned different regions and how important that is yeah. because coming from Chicago in the Midwest, um, and I liked that you kind of clear, put Midwest and South together a little bit, but it's very different. Like Midwest and South is very different from the Northeast and how you have to adapt your personality. Because here in the South where I live now, I gotta, I gotta ask them about their grandbabies right. and yeah. the weather. And did you make sweet tea today? And I had to learn to go from a Chicago mentality to a Southern mentality that if you don't spend 20 minutes of BS rapport building, you're going to lose them. Oh, yeah. Is it really regional? Yeah. Like, it's really that that much of a so, thing? So is England, where you are. Like, it's regional too, right? But how can it be when people are born into different families and different values and, and all the rest? Yeah, you probably, I'm, I'm going to guess the further south you go in England, the more people are more relational. They're not relational in London. London's like New York. Like, what do you want to say? <laughs> say it. Why haven't you already told me this? Like, what's taking you so yeah, long to get yeah, started? Yeah. 
London's. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, for example, if I was on a tube with you, Gina and Anthony, and I was just staring at you, you'd be like, what are you looking at? And I'm so fascinated by people to the point that I'm always people watching. And I've got a, I've got something I say back to people now. I say, oh, sorry, I thought you were someone famous. And then they're like, oh, they feel good about themselves and everyone goes away. <laughs> um, but like, I, I can, I, I get what you mean now. I never thought about it like that. In London, nobody wants to say hi. Whereas yeah. in the Southwest, you walk along in the village and you're like, hey, how are you? And you're like, I'm yeah. good. Thanks. I don't know you. you I think you could say that about any country. You look at Italy, sure. right? Like if you're in Milan, or Rome, it's very different than if you're in Sorrento or Naples, how they're going to treat you is going to be completely different in how you talk to them. Yeah, that's it's anywhere in the world you're going to see that. But you need to know, like, what's your adaptation? Your adaptation is if you're in Alabama or Mississippi, if somebody's going to ask you, like, who are your people? Uh, how are they doing? Like, they, they're going to ask you those things. That's That's warming up. Like, if you can't get through that part, if you just like, if you do a New York sort of thing and say, I'm here because we want to help you think about this, getting better results as you do this thing. Like they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you? And it's not just like, I don't know, want to know your name or where you you work. I want to know who are you? Who are your people? Like they want to know that, that kind of thing. It's different. New York though, you're like, how's your family? And they're like, why are you asking about my family? Like, like <laughs> what, what, like that? You don't ask about my family. Yeah. And it's just different. And it's, it, there's five countries here in the United States. Mm, of course. I forget yeah. how big you guys are over there. <laughs> um, but yeah. Let's, let's, let, let's, um, let's dive into the book because. I'll pull my reference copy just in I'm, case. Yeah, pull, pull, yeah, pull, because there are so many things I, I feel like I need help with. I mean, I think I do a fairly good job in sales. I think I, I do pretty good, but I, I think I got some problems here that maybe you can help me with. So let, let's first dive into, I always want to know when someone puts out a new book, like what was the inspiration behind it? What was the inspiration behind this book? Because you've written several, uh, Eat Their Lunch was the last one, correct? Yeah. Before I this one, my, yeah. Yep. And then the, the last start of closing and then the only sales guide you'll ever need. What inspired this book, Elite Sales Strategies? Every year we come to Outbound and every year I want to bring some big piece of content that I think what, what I'm always looking for is like, is there a better lens for me to look through? So that's what I'm always looking for. It's like, how do I get a clearer lens that gives me an advantage and I can see something that other people can't see? Like types. I want to understand types. So I work very hard to get a lens where I can say, this person is undisciplined. They're always planning. They're not doing the things that they say they are going to do. That's a seven. I know what a seven is. And I could see that and I have a good understanding. So that's what I'm always trying to do. Last year when we did Outbound, I brought this, this keynote and I, I called it how to become truly consultative. And the main idea was being one up. And I had told Jeb, I told Mark, I told Victor, I told a whole bunch of other people, like, I have no idea what's going to happen when I give people this content, because the idea of just saying that you're one up automatically has a little charge to it. Just it, it does. So I said, even if half of the audience walks out, I'm going to continue to just deliver the whole thing. Uh, and I don't know if people are going to think, what is, is he talking about manipulation? Is he talking about something else? And 
I thought, well, I'm going to do it anyway, because I believe it. And I believe it's right for other people. And I wouldn't write a book about this if I didn't do that. This was the first time on stage. Now there's two cameras on me, so I can watch me give the speech if I want to, and you could watch me give that speech if you wanted to. But what was most interesting is what I was missing. There wasn't a camera on the audience, so we don't have a video of them. But as I started to tell this story about going to Mount Everest and, and being on uh, a medication that my doctor gave me for altitude sickness and how sick I was while I was there, I was at 17,200 feet. And I started telling this story where my Sherpa said to me, what's wrong with you? And I said, my face is tingling and my arms are tingling and my legs are tingling and I'm sick. I just don't feel good. And, and he said, uh, are you taking altitude sickness medicine? And I said, yeah. And he said, you're allergic. And I said, okay, uh, this guy is a Sherpa. I was in his house. When you go through the front door, which there's no door in the front door, it's just an opening. There's donkeys and chickens. There's a pot belly stove. There's a hole in the ceiling that the smoke is going out of. This family has taken yak dung. They've turned it into patties and they've plastered it all over the walls for insulation. And this is the person that's telling me that I'm allergic to altitude sickness medicine. He's got yak dung under his fingernails. Like he's, he didn't go to high school. He didn't go to college. He has no medical degree at all. And I'm standing there on Mount Everest and I'm thinking to myself, Zimmerman's never been to Mount Everest. Like he has no idea what 17,200 feet is like. He just read something in, in maybe a prescription for something without knowing any more than that. This guy automatically recognized that the distress that I was in is because I was doing something that I shouldn't have been doing. He wasn't trying to be better than me or smarter than me. He was trying to help me with a problem that I was having. And at that moment, I thought to myself, he knows more about what he sees on Mount Everest than I could ever know. And I threw away the altitude sickness medicine. And then, of course, he said something else. He said, you know what your problem is? Don't you love it when somebody says that? <laughs> you know what your problem is? You're like, oh, boy. He goes, you walk too slow. And I'm like, I can have trouble mm -hmm. walking at all. Like, I'm trying to go up this little hill. And he said, you have to walk a lot faster. You're not getting enough air into your body. If you can get enough air into your body, all your tingling is going to go away. Okay. <laughs> So I start walking with a lot of purpose. Like I'm going very fast up this hill. 10 minutes, 12 minutes later, the tingling is all gone because I'm breathing. And so I learned while I was in Tibet and when I was there, like you got to walk fast because you're not getting the air that you would get at 650 feet above sea level. You're 17,200 feet above sea level and the air is really thin there. That's like airplane kind of uh, altitude. And I immediately felt better. And I used this story and I watched everybody just sort of light up, like everybody in the audience. I wish I would have had a camera on it because they were, they were just kind of like, boom, 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 like fireworks. And they started to get what I was saying about the relationship that we have with our clients. I'm not smarter than they are. I'm not better than they are. I'm not a superior human being. I just have knowledge and experience because I do something every day that they don't do every day. So I'm always helping people do the things that I help people with, and they're always helping people with the things that they do, but they don't know my experience. So the reason that they don't 
get a lot of value from the legacy approaches to sales is because there's not enough help in helping them understand what, what one up means is that I have to take my knowledge and experience and transfer it to them so that they would make the decision that I would make for them. That's what I'm trying to do. And sometimes when they're a little bit aggressive, sometimes you have to make sure that they understand that they are one down. And so mm-hmm. sometimes you have to ask a question that they can't answer so that they have to recognize I'm learning something here that I don't know. So imagine if you said to somebody, uh, what are the three areas w- which if you improved would uh, dramatically impact the effectiveness of your sales force? Or what have you done over the last 12 months? And what kind of an increase in effectiveness have you seen over that period of time? Ask any sales leader that they have no answer. And they're like, hmm, how would we measure effectiveness? Good question. I just taught you that you don't know what effectiveness means. Guess who's going to help you understand effectiveness? It's a combination of your quota attainment and your win rates. That's what effectiveness is. That's the only two things that we need to know. Are you winning enough deals? And are each of the people on your team able to reach their quota? If they're reaching their quota, they're super effective. So you can't just look at quota attainment because somebody could just have one thing happen. So you got to look at their win rate too, to understand that. And if they're at a 22% win rate or something, what happens is that sales leaders would say something like, we need you to get 300% of your quota. That's what has to be in your pipeline. Well, if you only close 22%, getting a a whole pipeline full of bad deals that nobody's going to win anyway, isn't the right thing to do. It's to get them from 22 to 42. If you get them from 22 to 42, then you're not wasting all these opportunities that you have, but they don't know that. So you have to teach it to them. And one way is to ask them a question that exposes the fact that they're missing information and then you give them the information. So, so what I love about this, because you talk about this in the book, share with our listeners the wrong questions they're asking instead of that question, right? That was a very specific question. I think you know where I'm going with this. So I don't want to put it out there, but what yeah. what are they doing wrong when it comes to this type of problem solving question asking? The question that they normally ask is, uh, so what kind of problems are you guys have? <laughs> and then I always just want to say like, Jimmy, is it your third day on the job? Like, have you not done this before? It's, it's a horrible. So one of the things about, about positioning yourself as a peer, like if you come in and you say, Hey, my company's really good. Hey, uh, we have a great CEO. He's so charismatic. Everybody loves him. Here's all of the logos, this trophy case that we have of all these pictures of logos. This must mean that we're a good company because these companies work with us and you know, the names that we're showing you. And we have this great solution, this product and the service. It's so good. It's better than everybody else. And what's keeping you up at night? You have the worst positioning possible for a sales conversation. So instead, you need to show up and say, one of the challenges that people are facing right now is this. And I'm going to show you some data about this. And let me know how this is resonating with you and what you're seeing and what's going on in your world. These are the other challenges that we see. And here's why they exist. I'm not going to ask you what your problem is because I already know what your problem is. And Mm -hmm. Gina, I do know what your problem is. I have a giant list. I talked to Jeb before. He gave me a, it's a scroll. You just keep scrolling and scrolling. No, if you're, 
uh, an playing expert. Playing her insecurities, playing to her insecurities. So mean, so mean. She's got a great sense of humor. <laughs> she's, she's, she, you know that already. Luckily for you. Luckily for you. <laughs> this is how this is how I'm successful at sales, gravy. Got to have a sense of humor. You got to have a sense of humor. <laughs> But if, if a person comes in and they have to ask you what kind of problems you're having in your industry, what kind of positioning is that? That's the worst positioning. Like, oh, so you know nothing. Like, why am I talking to you if you don't already know? And you called and asked me for a meeting. You must have had some sort of a theory. So I continue to tease salespeople with the idea about, okay, so you ask somebody if they have a problem. What if I said this is the problem? Uh, Gina, our parking lot's too small for the number of cars that we need to, to get into the parking lot each day. And we're really unsure about our coffee filters. Do you like that? You're like, I don't have anything to do with any of those things. And I always keep coming up with other things to talk about, you know, like (laughs) it's a narrow number of problems. It's a very narrow area. Like, you know what problems they have, or you wouldn't have called and asked them for a meeting. Right. And then when you show up and you're like, what kind of problems are you having? Yeah, I, I love this because a lot of the work that I do with our with a lot of clients is they're so un- unclear in their their messaging, right? So they 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 stumble in prospecting because they're unclear with their messaging because they're unclear with how to solve problems because they're unclear with what the problems are, and so I would love it if you could address that for our listeners. How can they get better? at walking in and knowing the problem instead of saying what keeps you up at night. Now I talk about this a lot. Like you need to understand what keeps them up at night without asking them what keeps them up at night. So how do they get better at that? That's right. So as you go out into the world and you sell, you have conversations with people and they share with you where they want better results. Your job is not to identify the problem because you should already know them. What you're really doing in discovery is explaining to the client the root cause of their problem. So I came out of temporary staffing. I still have family businesses where we have a lot of people working and staffing. And one of the things that you have to do is teach people why they have the problem. So people would say, when I was in sales and and, and running that business, there would be people who would say something like, your temporaries are terrible. They're they're awful. Uh, They're not good. Like we're unhappy with them. And then I would say, uh, you've given us $9 as a pay rate. You're getting the best $9 people. And now let me show you how you compare to your competitors in this neighborhood. Let me show you how you compare with people in your industry in the city. And I would start teaching them, you think labor is abundant and cheap and it's scarce and expensive. And, and that's it. And so I would have to change their assumptions And I did that with an executive briefing. So I start a conversation with an executive briefing because I want to have the context established as to what kind of problems we're here to talk about. And I'm going to show them the root cause of their problem as early as I can. I'm going to show them that so they are in the context with me so that we can have a conversation about change. And so I'm going to teach them these are the root causes that are causing people not to get the results that they want. And basically what happens when you do the why us and you say, let me tell you about my company, they start leaning back like this. When you say, let me show you this data and share with you what we're seeing right now, then they lean in and they're like, is that why we're having this problem? And they'd learn something that that's what you need to do. You have to teach the client what they need to know to make a good decision. 
they don't mm. make the decision often enough to be good at it. And if they did, it would be transactional because they already know how to make the decision. But yeah. you have to teach that while you're doing this. So a lot of it's questions and it's questions outside of that. It's questions about would it be better for you to change right now, even if it's a little bit difficult, or would it be better for you to have to do it on a timeline that's not of your choice in the future where you have a greater potential of failing? Oh, I like that for recruitment as well, because I'm a recruiter and I'm constantly targeting passive job seekers. Um, and that question is golden. And the discovery part of your book, I found fascinating. But from a strategic point of view, I've never looked at account managers. So uh, from an account manager's perspective, I've never looked at existing clients in this way. And for me, one of the most groundbreaking parts was separating where I'm one up and one down. Yeah. Look at the people that I'm one up with and where I can maximize that. And for me in recruitment, that's been, I've been getting more retainers and future business. Yeah. But the ones where I'm one down, I think I kind of just took it for granted. So that has been a massive eye opener for me um, in the recruiting sense. Well, it, it should because I, I started uh, in staffing when I was 18. That was like six years ago. <laughs> or maybe maybe a little bit longer. 26 years ago, 36 Could years be. ago. So, Anthony, I'm going to ask you a question because people ask me this all the time. Do you think recruitment is sales? Of course it is. Yeah, of course it is. It has to be, especially if you've got passive candidates that you need to acquire. Yeah, it's my mom started that business. I watched her um, while I lived in her house starting at six o'clock in the morning and at 10 o'clock at night, she's raising four kids by herself and she'd have all these resumes on her bed at 10 o'clock at night and trying to get, she's just hustling $4 and 25 cents uh, draw against her commission. Wow. wow. Now she's got a $50 million business. That's incredible. That's incredible. I'm not too shabby. Not too shabby. What a great role model. We should have her on our show. Yeah, she's better than me for sure. I mean, I, I like you, but I, I 50 million. I, we should have. Yeah. Can you do an introduction? That'd be funny. Oh, it'd be funny to like talk to Anthony's mother. Yeah. I don't know what she would say. <laughs> I think she would say he's a rough kid. <laughs> Does she like you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But oh, she, how could you not? How could you not? I mean, we have heard about these confrontational conversations on the phone um so yeah maybe there's another side that we haven't seen yet well we know there's another side i was a difficult i was a very very difficult child uh starting at 12 i was a difficult child so i've apologized uh I, i've apologized many many times and my mom was the best thing that ever happened to me i, I wouldn't i wouldn't be like i wouldn't be who i was without adopting her values even though i resisted them as long as i could and then eventually they just stuck in, uh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Super disciplined. Yeah. So that, that kind of stuff. She's, she has great values. Well, that's really impressive that she's built that kind of business. And I'm sure that that puts you on a path eventually that you got on. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. I know you had uh, some rough patches along the way. I, I was like, if you ever read uh, Mark Twain's like Huckleberry Finn, Tom Sawyer kind of thing, that was me. Like I was out. My children are uh, house cats. Yeah, I, I'm a feral cat. 
Yeah, like I got a scar <laughs> over my eye. Yeah. We're cats now. Woohoo. <laughs> I love this. I love it. I love it. I love it. I, I want to um, go back and talk about discovery because this, this is something that Susanna and I talk a lot about. But before we do that, could you could you fill in our, our listeners about this this whole legacy versus modern approach? Because I think this is something that everybody needs to hear about because many of us fall into legacy and getting us to that modern approach. I think for some people, there's the questions going to come up. How do I how do I undo everything I learned to move from legacy to modern? So the 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 strategy for this is called via negativa. That's what it's called. Okay. And it means subtracting. I got to subtract. So first I have to get rid of this. Let me try to create gain credibility by talking about my company. You do not get any credibility by that. All you're doing is pointing at a noun. <laughs> I have a company and I like okay good you have a noun. That's great. Uh that's all you have though is a noun. And then they'll go, I have another noun. We have a CEO or we have these board of directors or we have these investors. You get no credit for that. You get no credit for it. You are not credible. So far, all you are is a historian about your company's business. Mm -hmm. Like that's, nobody wants a history lesson as far as I can tell. And then you start saying, look at these logos that we have. That logo list looks exactly like everybody else's logo Mm -hmm. list. It looks Mm -hmm. the same. And then I'm going to tell you that we have the best product and solution and it can solve the problems that you have in this particular area. Now, when I said that, I want people listening to this to understand what's happening. You're differentiating in exactly the same way that everybody else is differentiating. That's what you're doing. It's the same order. It's the same conversation. It ends with what's causing you problems, what's keeping you up at night. How could it be differentiated if you're literally all following the same exact pattern? How could it be different? It's not different. What you're doing is saying, please, I'm a commodity. Treat me like one. And that's what happens. And the reason that the people don't make it out of the first meeting into the second meeting is because none of that part of the conversation is valuable. And if you spend 18, 22 minutes doing something like that, that person's already like, I got to wash my hair. Uh, Today's the day I have to wash my hair. I'm sorry. I got to get out of here. Like uh, I need something like you're going to find an excuse you're going to say no to that person because they don't create any value. So the first thing you have to do is just remove that. Now, this is the hard part for people. And I had a guy arguing with me yesterday on LinkedIn because I said, you should pretend to be a consultant. And he said, you're telling people to pretend. And, and I'm like, pedantic, come on. Like, that's not right. Yeah. I'm saying pretend that you're a consultant because what does a consultant sell? Their counsel, their advice, their recommendations. So if you're not allowed to talk about any of these things, so if I tell you, you can't talk about your company, you can't this. talk about your product, you can't try to develop rapport, you can't ask them about their problem. If you can't do that, then what are you going to say? Like now you've, I've removed all of the things that are crutches for salespeople. And now you have to say something else. So what is that something else? It's something that would be valuable for them. So what do you know that's valuable enough that if you started a conversation there, that person would be learning something and say, this was a use, a good use of my time, and I'm better prepared to make a decision now after having had this conversation. If that's not true, then you wasted somebody's time. And, and it took me nine years to figure this out. It took me nine years in sales before I realized all they want to do is know how to get the best result. 
And that's the only thing that there is to talk about it. So you start talking about those things and that ends up being very, very helpful. If you can remove the things that aren't necessary to creating value and you just focus on the value creation, then you're going to do really well. And people are going to say yes to your next ask for another meeting because you say, these are the forces that are already causing people to have problems. I'd like to meet with you again. And what I'll do is I'll show you in our internal data on what's working and why it's working and what's not working and why it's not working. And I'm doing that for you right now. Like I just told you, why can't you get to the second meeting? Because you bombed the first meeting. That's why, like the, there was no value for people. And you think that it's a contest between your company and your competitor's company and your solution and their solution. It's not, it's a contest between you and your competitor. And which one is going to create greater value for the client? You can talk about your product. You can talk about your company. Nobody cares. They don't care. You, I'm sure that the CEO is uh, tremendously a wonderful guy. He's charitable. He's charismatic. All of those things. They're never going to meet him. It, it has no impact on the decision for them at all. So what does? What factors do they need to look at? How should they weight those factors? What are the things that they need to avoid? Why should you do it this way instead of the way your friends are doing it? And it's because there's something different between the way you do this and other people do it. And it won't work for you the same way it'll work for them. You've got to give them a lot of advice and a lot of recommendations. And you're supposed to be consultative. Consultative means something. It means I'm going to tell you how to run your business. That's what it means. But could there be a risk? Could there be a risk with that? Um, because a risk, a risk in what way? I've worked with some salespeople. I'm just thinking of those who have been great on the consultative side. But occasionally I've been in on meetings with them where they have verged on patronizing to the client because, for example, if I was going to get my hair done tomorrow, you know, when they always say, oh, what shampoo are you using? And you say, you're quite proud you use your expensive shampoo. And they say, um, no, 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 you don't use that. You use this one. And so you're like, oh, okay. Um, the consultative kind of turns a bit patronizing almost. Is there a risk to that? That's not consulting though. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that is, that's not consulting. Now, mm -hmm. if I said, uh, Susanna, what are you using to, to wash your hair and how often do you wash it? Yeah. How often do you wash it? Um, every other day. Every other day. Okay. So I have uh, children who would tell you probably twice a week is enough uh, and one's a cosmetologist. So other people are going to have different, <laughs> but, but if I said, would you be open to exploring a shampoo that might be better for you because you're doing it every other day and, mm. and that will allow your, your hair to be the color that you want it to be and whatever else. I, I don't know what you guys do. All I know is that it's like, if you go somewhere, it's $300. That's all I know. I don't know anything outside <laughs> of that. It looks the same to me, but I know that it's expensive, whatever you did. Yeah. But if the consultative yep. would be one of the things is if you're going to do it every other day, if you're using something that's like you're using right now and it's harsh, you know, you're, you're going to maybe have a problem over in the future. That's a different conversation than just saying you're using the wrong shampoo. Uh, and you can do that. And sometimes you have to, I've told people before, there's a story in the book. I told a guy like you're dead in September, you should get a shovel and dig a hole behind your building because you're throwing your business in it. And, and it was me just trying to, I did everything I could to convince him that he was going to get harmed and he wouldn't believe me. And in September he called and he said, can you help us? And I said, we can't, 
if we can, it's too late. You're, you're in Columbus, Ohio, one of the tightest labor markets in the world. You're underpaying. And by September, you're dead. Mm -hmm. uh, another company took all of their business away from them because they failed, because they didn't get their people, because he didn't want to believe that he had to pay more money. He just didn't want to believe it. I failed him. I did everything I could. I was playful. I was smart. I showed him the data. I showed him other people's data. He didn't want to believe it. He's not here anymore. He doesn't, he's, doesn't have a location in Columbus anymore because he didn't take my advice because he's stubborn. Yeah. And, uh, and sometimes I might as well go down in a, a blaze of glory, you know, so I, I might as well try my very best and try to be uh, aggressive enough that he gets a, some sort of uh, idea that I'm telling the truth. I only mm -hmm. tell the truth. So there's a, the last story I tell in the book. I lost a $6 million client because I was consultative. I told the truth and he didn't like the truth. I'm always going to tell the truth. Mm. I, I'm, I'm not going to trade my reputation for a lie. I just would never do that. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's a short term thinking. Most of the people that have ever taken my result, my advice in that particular world were thrilled and asked me to come back and brief them all the time. Like, what do, what do you think we should be doing next? It's a different conversation that we're having than other people have. And if you start by just, just getting rid of what you've done, the problem is, is that marketing people put that why us together because they think that that gives you credibility. It doesn't. And then the product people will say something like, uh, Gina, the product pack practically sells itself. Yeah. Okay. Tell it to the sales force to see how they feel about that. <laughs> They're going to tell you like, it's a little harder than that. <laughs> it's a little harder to sell that. And it is more commoditized than you might think it is. And, uh, if we don't fix those things and it's going to continue, what marketing should be doing right now is helping people understand the forces that cause people to change that are external and the things that they do inside their own business that cause them those problems. So you can get to the root cause and help people make better decisions. So that the, the consultative approach in, let's say, a first meeting, right? Because for some people, this is going to be a, a challenge to make this switch. And obviously it's going to take practice to get over and, and do that switch. You talk about the executive brief and the, yeah. I, I find that really powerful in presenting the, the executive brief. Is that something that you would do in a first meeting, in a discovery meeting? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's, it's where I start anyway. So share, share a little bit about that because I think there are going to be salespeople that are going to struggle with that because they're going to they're say, how do I show up with this executive brief when I'm meeting yeah. for the first time and I don't know them and you're telling me not to, not to do rapport building and that's all I know how to do. So how do I, how do I switch and do this executive brief? Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll demonstrate it for you right now. So because uh, I still own part of two staffing companies, uh, I can tell you uh, right now there's 1.3 million people on unemployment in the United States. There's 5.9 million people in the United States that are not working total. So 4.6 million of the 5.9 have just not come back to work. In the United States, 4.2 million people quit every month. And it's not new people. A lot of the quitters keep quitting. And every time they quit, they get a pay increase. Uh, the largest increase by generation is Generation Z, who's gotten close to 16% increase in their wages, while Gen X and, uh, and, and the one above us are baby boomers. It's like 2% for us. Uh, we already made money. So that uh, that's all true. I mean, so I can tell you that. I can tell you a whole bunch of statistics about this. 
I can tell you that wages have gone up 11.6% on average. I mean, I know all of this, this data because for me, it's like those hooks that people have on their wall where they put their keys on it. Like I just dropped the data on eight or 10 trends that I pay attention to. And I do the same thing in sales. I can tell you that 21% of people say they want to talk to a salesperson before they explore a product. 79% say they'd prefer not to. 57% say, I would like to talk to a salesperson, but they're always running their own agenda and they're not taking care of me. So I would rather just do the research and then decide who I want to talk to. Deals are getting longer. 70% of deals are now four months. More than 50% are now seven months. So deals are getting longer because we don't have the same sort of conversation with the client because they're pursuing their own thing now. And so they've decided that they're going to have a different relationship with us. Another reason that it's difficult for, for people right now is consensus. So getting the right people in the room, if, you, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. It doesn't not only happen for you. Sorry, I just wanted to be a little dramatic and throw the book off of the table. Yeah, But it's for difficult our, for them. A lot of times <laughs> they don't end up doing anything because they can't get the right people in the room and it ends up just dying. And uh, none of this is good for us. None of it's good for the client. I mean, none of it is good. So uh, it's a weird time that we're in. There's way more uncertainty. And how do you help people? You give them certainty of negative consequences if they don't change. And you give them certainty of positive outcomes if they do change. And that that's the game that we have to play now. Mm, I love that. So to, to be able to do that, um, you, you got to be a little prepared, right? Like you got to know your numbers. You have to do your homework. Was yeah. that fair to say? I mean, it's yeah. kind of simplistic, but. No, you got to do your homework. You got to pay attention to what's going on, uh, especially as it pertains to what it does to your clients. So I, I spend my morning, I listen to CNBC because I can do a passive. I can just mm -hmm. listen. Like I have a client that's got the E and ESG, you know, so mm -hmm. what's going on here in the United States and Tom Cotton, who is a senator in Arkansas, was on CNBC saying that BlackRock, who's pressuring all the people that they have under management, like all the companies that they buy and the ones that they do work with, he said, we're going to, when we win in 2022 and 2024, uh, people are going to go to jail for, for leveraging this influence like they are. Uh, with money and pushing people into these things. And he says that that there's going to be a dramatic shift. They're going to do everything that they can to do that. So that's our conservative side that's going to be doing that. Uh, and Larry Fink has got $9 trillion under management at BlackRock. And they're pushing for all of those things uh, that are popular right now. I'm well-read enough that I know Peter Drucker wrote about this in 1993, saying as soon as institutional investors start to impose their values on people, they're going to start doing these things. And so they don't care about like your money, Jeb's money, my money. I'm talking about California state retirement for teachers. They come in and say, we're going to put $3 billion into your, your stock. And we want somebody on the board that's going to make sure that we have diversity on the board and that we have diversity in leadership. And, and you're going to do these things because we put this money in or we'll give the money to somebody else. Chicago already said, we're not giving any money to anybody that does anything with fossil fuels. They just did that. California followed that. No more fossil fuels. 
They're not investing in it. So those giant piles of money that they have not going there anymore. I explained all this to him. I made him read the Peter Drucker book so he could understand like we've known this is going this direction for a long time. Now we're here. So I look like I can tell the future uh, because I read and because I listen to things. And you do have to be a curious person if you want to be a good salesperson. You can't be a good salesperson without being curious. And the other thing I would say, if, if you're not a business person, you're not going to be a good salesperson. Like you have to be a business person. You're a business advisor, a business advisor that says, what kind of problems might you be having? Not a good business advisor. Nah, so true. And this is what I find really hard, especially in recruiting for salespeople, when you could have huge clients who consistently churn out salespeople and then they want to pay you more money for another one. And then they've lost someone that they've had before and they want another one from you. And it's great. I'm very happy with that. But why are they losing the people? Um, and you want to kind of have that conversation with them and say, you know, let's talk about what's going on here because I'd love you to spend money with me. But I also know that you could get some consulting advice so that you don't have to spend as much. But some of them don't want to take it because they're very sad. And it's like you said about that client that you lost. The data tells us right now, one of the reasons that quota attainment is going down is because people are not staying in the same industry. Mm. They're, they're jumping jobs. Yeah. And you, it's very hard to be one up to start with. Uh, you can do it and you can accelerate it. I've taught, taught a whole bunch of people how to get their young, new salespeople up to speed really fast by stealing everything from everybody else and making sure that they're conversational. So I've, I've made people do the work to do that. But the longer you're in an industry, I, I was in staffing for, I don't even know how many years, let's call it 34, some number like that. Very, very hard to know more than I know about that particular job because I did it for so long. I've been in sales since I was 15 years old. So I, I've been studying sales for most of my life, uh, starting in 92 when I really, like I read every book that there was. I've read hundreds of books on sales and I tried to figure out what I knew was true. If you take somebody and they're in an industry and then in 18 months they leave and they go to another industry, they have to start all over again. The, if you can retain people, their results are going to get better because they're going to get better at the conversation. They're going to be deeper. They're going to have a greater ability to create value for people. If they don't do that and they jump, I mean, you're going to have to explain like every time you churn these people for whatever reason, you're going to have lower results than you would have had you been able to keep that person and grow them. Like it's just true. And, and look, like I'll take the second fee. If you don't want the, the fee, I'll take it for you. What are you doing? 30 30%? 20. 20? I'll take 30. Uh, <laughs> 30. Like you want to keep paying me 30% of the, the compensation? I'll keep giving you another person. But eventually you're going to say, none of the people that you give me work. Well, why yeah. is that? Yeah. It's certainly not Susanna. It's not you. It's not a bad selection on your part. There's something going on with them that they have to fix. And, and if they don't, then they're going to continue to do that. They'll never get the results that they're capable of. Well, we we could go on and on and we have so many more questions for you, but I do have to get on a sales call that I'm pretty sure I'm going to close in the next few minutes. Uh, and I I hate to leave you, but we'll be together soon, right? All of us. We are going to be together soon, all of us. And 
if we can find a way, well, if you can find a way to be part of our live stream at Outbound, that would be amazing. Please, please, please. Only if you promise that you're going to bring your A game. That's all I have. I only have an A game. He yeah. doesn't have no other game. I have no other That's game it. but an A game. So uh, we, I, I will be thrilled to join you there. Okay, in well, the fishbowl. We're gonna. I think that's where we're going, but I'm not positive yet. But that's what I hear. Maybe we're gonna be in the fishbowl. If you don't know what we're talking about, you have to come to Outbound to see what the fishbowl is. So you're gonna see so many great people. That's gonna. I mean, you so, like all the people that you see that you're like. I I wonder what they're like. You're going to walk right up to them. There's no green room. Nobody's hiding. They're, everybody's right out there. You can walk up and take a selfie. Uh, and the, even, the VIP, yeah, the VIP is the, I think the best because, and Jeb called me the other day. He's like, you sold a VIP ticket. He was like so excited. And I'm like, I've been pushing the VIP experience on all of my clients because I think that's the, I just think that's the best part. If like to have that VIP experience, to be networking right there. I've been promising people that I would introduce them to you if they signed up. I mean, just so you know, (laughs) I'm like, I'll take you straight to Anthony if you buy a VIP ticket. I've been Uh, absolutely. I've been promising all kinds of things. He'll be running away from you. He'll be like, here's the gold next. He usually. I'm a hundred percent approachable. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no problem. I like people. He does. I've always liked people. He does. Well, Susanna does have one wrap up question that we okay. that we always ask the, that she's come up with these this new way of questioning. So um, have at it, Susanna. Thank you. So you get a choice, Anthony. You either get to reveal something or I'm going to quiz you on something. Ooh. You get to Re- choose. Reveal or okay, quiz? quiz me. Quiz. Oh my gosh, here it goes. My American accent. You have to guess what film this sales quote is from. Are you ready? I'm ready. I have been a rich man and I have been a poorer man and I choose to be rich every fucking time because at least as a rich man, when I have to face my problems, I show up in the back of a limo wearing a $2,000 suit and a 40000 gold fucking watch. Oh, I don't that. Which I don't know that one. Is it from? Well, I I could take out the uh, the obvious ones. It's not Glengarry Glen Ross, right? It's sorry, certainly not sorry. Boiler Room. That's true. It's not Boiler Room. Uh, it could be Wall Street. Wolf Wall, of Wall Street. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> it must have been the American accent, Woo! right? I've never seen that movie. Oh, you got to watch that movie. I've never seen it. I got an interesting story about a client, a prospect that we ended up networking with, who actually worked with that guy um, because he's got his own sales company. And that's a whole interesting story. Wow. That's a story for another time of how they got fleeced. I'm not, I I, I better be careful. I don't want to get sued for libel. I'll just leave it at that. They were very unhappy, but he's in business doing some business. He did his time. Did his time and he's out there selling, teaching people how to sell pencils. Okay. (laughs) I always wonder about that. Like, sell me this pen. It's like, why would I sell one pen? Like, why wouldn't I? Like, do you have a truck of pens? I could sell a truck of pens, but I can't sell one. Like, give me a whole like semi full of pens and then I'm happy. Like, how much money am I going to make on one pen? Like, I need scale. He thinks I had to sell something and make money. That's why you're an H. You think big. Just like you were saying. Exactly. Is that, was that it, Susanna? Do we get that in? 
That is it. You have to wait till next week to find out what the deal is or uh, whoever may be next. Okay. All right. Well, as always, it is a pleasure to have you here with us, Anthony. So thank you so much for being here. And for our listeners, if they want to reach out to you and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Esalesblog.com or LinkedIn. LinkedIn's great. Okay, cool. Awesome. Uh, Everybody, thanks for listening today to this episode. You can see Anthony live in person at Outbound. If you can't make it in person, you can do it virtual too. So check that out, outboundconference.com. Get your tickets now and see all of us there. And thank you to Sales Gravy for sponsoring this show. For more information about our show, go to womenyourmotherwarnsyoubout.com. And you can also find Susanna and I at salesgravy.com. Thanks listeners. I'm Gina. I'm out of here. Goodbye, Susanna. Have a good holiday. Thank you very much. And thank you to Anthony for all your work. We love you. Thank you. See you soon.